0: If you would please remain standing for our scripture reading this morning, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, this morning, Matthew chapter 5, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was sad, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We preached on that last week, and the title of my message was, Happy Are the... Humble, very good, happy are the humble. So this morning we're going to be in verse number four. And Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So last week was happy are the humble. This week might even seem more of an oxymoron. Jesus said, happy are the sad. That's interesting. Blessed are they that mourn. Happy are the sad. Heavenly Father, help us as we look into your word this morning. I pray that you give us good insight and discernment as to what your word has to say to us this morning. you for bringing us here this morning. you for a great crowd on a Sunday morning, Thanksgiving holiday weekend. I thank you so much for, for bringing your people our way today. I thank you for those in the Spanish department. Pray to be your brother, Jeremy, as he preaches to them. Give them the words to say and bless their time. Be with those in the junior church hour this morning, those in the nursery as well. And God, for these next few moments, turn our hearts towards you and towards your word and May we leave here having received exactly what the Holy Spirit would have for us today. If there's even one here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. pray that you would speak to each and every heart. And God, may we not only be hearers of the word, but may we be doers as well. I think of those on our prayer request list this morning. I think of Clarence Kellogg. pray that you continue to give him good health and strength. And may he get this skin grafting operation to allow the healing to set in. I pray for Don Ziegler that you'd be with him and touch him as he's going through Cancer treatments as well. I think of Cody Wood has one more week of treatments. Pray that you would uh, just be with him. And as they will be going back in and checking the tumor in early January, God, I pray that uh, if it would be your will, I pray that it would be removed and uh, that he would be in full health and strength and good health and strength at that time. I think of uh, Margaret Morris, who's uh, got pneumonia. Pray that you would just touch her body. I know she's had a lot of health issues recently. I pray that you would just touch her body and, and, and raise her back up, get her back into good health and shape quickly. I know others are missing this morning because of sickness and illness. Pray that you'd be with them. Thank you for bringing Jack Peterson back today. Pray that you would uh, just give them the health and strength that he needs. And thank you for enabling him to be here this morning. God, thank you for the health and strength you gave all of us to be here today. Pray that you would give us the opportunity to hear your word this morning. And may we apply it to our lives in a way that would bring all the honor and glory to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. It is good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Everybody have a nice Thanksgiving? Did y'all eat enough? Anybody eat too much? I'll be honest with you, you've heard me say this before, and uh, I'm not changing my story. I'm I'm not normally a a big fan of leftovers. But I had uh, Friday and Saturday, I had leftovers from Thursday. And it was as good on Friday as it was on Thursday, and it was as good on Saturday. Something about ham and turkey and, and dressing, that it just... You can, you can heat it up, and it takes you right back to the moment. So it was good stuff. So had a nice Thanksgiving, and uh, we still have much to be thankful for. Amen? So uh, we serve a great God. So Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we would oftentimes refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I refer to it as the greatest message ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, and that would be Jesus Christ. And he said in verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, happy are the humble. But then he said in verse number four, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm going to read just from a couple of passive scriptures. You can stay right there in Matthew chapter five if you wish. But in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse one, the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. And then he said this, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Here, the Bible uses the word mourn or mourning three times in verses two and three. The Bible says to comfort all that mourn, to point unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. In James chapter four, in verse number nine, the Bible says, actually, verse number eight draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. I'm convinced, say look into Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn. That word mourn literally means to grieve and to sorrow. In this world we live in, there's there's much that we can grieve and sorrow over. We can grieve and sorrow over the death of a loved one, difficulties that we experience in life, relationships, rejection, circumstances, and even situations that we face. But I'm convinced in its context, Jesus is not just talking about happy are the sad because of the period of mourning that they're going through, Rather, I believe what Jesus is speaking about is not just a mourning for situations and circumstances. I think it is referring to as a mourning for sin. There used to be a day and age, it seemed, that uh, we would mourn over sin. In fact, the altar, and I've mentioned this several times, when I was a little child, used to be referred to as an old-fashioned mourner's bench. I could probably remember on on maybe just a few occasions where I've seen somebody come forward and and literally, literally mourn over their sin, be brokenhearted over their sin. A message like this this morning is 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 not easy to preach, no easier than, than last week's message was. But but can I say this? If if there's one thing I believe that, that God wants us to be reminded of this morning. Is how important it is not only that we deal with our sin, but how we deal with our sin. See, if we, if we let the flesh have its way, our flesh is so quick to cover our sin. Proverbs 28 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Do you know how easy it is to cover our own sin, at least for a time? I know. Moses told the uh, tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, he said, we're going into to, to conquer and to take over the promised land. And he said, if you, if, if, if you will, he said, I'd like you to go with us and help us to fight the battles. But he said, if you don't go over, because they wanted to settle on the other side of the Jordan River, he said, if you don't go over, he made this statement, and we, pre- we repeat it to this day, be sure your sin will find you out. So we can cover our sin for a time, but eventually it's going to be revealed. Our flesh does a good job of trying to defend our sin. We can come up with every reason on why it's wrong for this person to do that, but it's okay for us to do this. And, And our flesh is so good at defending our sin. We can excuse our sin. We can justify our sin. And the list goes on and on. But I'm convinced that there's a word I'm going to use this morning. I believe that God wants us when we we deal with our sin, when the Bible says, blessed are they that mourn. If you're to say, Pastor Grohl, what do you you mean by that? What do you mean by blessed are they that mourn? Here's what I believe Jesus was saying. Blessed are those who have the right approach towards their sin, that mourn for their sin. We live in a day and age that uh, we could mourn over the sins of our country. And our sins are many. We could mourn over the the sins of the unsaved. We could mourn over the sins of even those that are in prison this morning. And we could mourn over many different sins. But I believe where God wants us to begin our mourning is for our own sin. If we can develop a broken heart for somebody else's sin, may, may we allow God to break our hearts for our own sin. You see, Pastor Crow, what, 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 what's, what's the, the, the big issue with sin? I'll tell you what, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will help to keep you from sin. I promise you there are people that used to be in churches, just like Beth Ava Baptist Church, all across this country that aren't in church anymore, and I can tell you one of the reasons, because they allowed sin to stay in their life far longer than it ever should have stayed, and it now is, is, is wreaking disaster in their life. We oftentimes quote that verse in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer to you, be tempted above the ear, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. And, and we quote that verse, and I've heard people use that verse and even misuse that verse. But we sometimes forget about the verse that comes right before that. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, that says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And if we're not careful, we, we can become so comfortable in our sin that we forget happy is not the man who lives in his sin. Happy is the man who mourns over his sin. You say, Pastor Crow, can you, can, you, can you validate that? I, I'd be happy to. We won't turn there for, for sake of time this morning. We've got back-to-back services, and I've got a few thoughts yet to, get, to cover. But we're, making, we're really good on time. My introduction's almost done. If you look at Psalms 51, David's confessing his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He said, have mercy upon me, O God. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And David begins to pour his heart out to God. And at one point he said this, He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. At one point in the chapter, he said, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now, can I say this? He wasn't talking about the enjoyment of sin. He was talking about his mourning for sin. You you follow me? And when David got to the end of the chapter, he said the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. What David came to the conclusion of is that what God was looking for was not just a recognition of sin, but a repentance of sin that that literally came out of a heart of mourning. David, David wasn't mourning and he wasn't grieving over the sins of Israel. And if you remember, there was a time that Nehemiah did just that. Nehemiah looked at, at, at Israel at the time and he said, or Judah, and he said, How in the world could this country, how could they be so far away from God? And he was brokenhearted and mourning over the sins of his country. But at this point, David was mourning over his own sin. It wasn't what Absalom did, it wasn't what Amnon did, it wasn't what Adonijah did, it wasn't what Solomon did. This was David's own sin. And what David was looking for was for God to forgive him, was for God to restore him. David didn't say, restore unto me my salvation. David didn't lose his salvation, but he lost his fellowship with God. And when David came to God mourning, what he recognized was his happy days was when when he was mourning over his sin, rather not when he was living in his sin. See, this world gives us the impression that the happiest people are the people that are living in sin. I understand there might be pleasure in sin for a season, but it's short-lived, especially if you're a Christian. If the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, he's not going to let you live just in your sin and and feed the flesh over and over and over again and enjoy it. When R.G. Lee preached his his world-famous message on Payday Sunday, he knew exactly what he was preaching about according to the truths of the Word of God. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I I know it sounds like an oxymoron when you say happy are the humble, but that's a true statement. And Jesus said, let me take it one step further. Not only do we see that happy are the humble, but he said happy are the sad. In other words, happy are those that can mourn over their sin and let God bring them to a point Where God can do with that sin what only God can do. Can I have you turn to one more passive scripture, and and, and we'll we'll finish up in this passive scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. When when we get to the the, the end of this passage, I'm going to give you what I'm going to say are seven characteristics of repentance. So if you would say, Pastor Scott, how do I know or how do you know if you've truly repented of your sin? I'm not, I'm not talking about sin for salvation. I'm talking about our ongoing sin in the life of a Christian. And we can you know, put our, our pious faces on today, but we're nothing more than sinners saved by grace. And after we got saved, we're still sinners saved by grace. I, I know when I was in school for a couple of years and George might remember these years, we were going to Rock Lake, Uh, Bible Academy, and uh, it was a Pilgrim Holiness School, and uh, they believed that when you got saved, if you prayed through and you really got saved, you didn't sin anymore. Now, there was a fine line there because they would acknowledge that you could make mistakes, but you couldn't sin anymore. But if it so happened that you did sin, you lost your salvation, and then you were doomed. There was no hope for you, no hope for you. And as a kid, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. And I would talk to the, some of the holiness kids and say, can you explain this to me? And um, this girl named Ruth was crying one day. And I said, what's wrong? She said, my dad's going to hell. She said, he got drunk last night. And I said, well, that's not good. But I said, has he ever accepted Christ as And she said, he is. So, well, he'll, he'll still go to heaven. She so said, how could you say that? Well, I'm not bragging about it, but we're sinners saved by grace. And if he was saved before he got drunk, then he's just a drunk sinner now. But I said, he shouldn't be. And I said, he needs to get right with God, but he didn't lose his salvation. He just lost his fellowship with God, not his relationship. I was probably in the seventh or eighth grade, and I didn't know everything. I, you know, I, I don't even think I thought I knew everything. I just thought, man, this girl needs hope that her dad's still saved, on his way to heaven. And she said, but not according to what our church sees. I said, but I just think that's what the Bible teaches. We'd get in chapel once in a while, and they'd all get praying at the same time. And it got a little scary in her a couple times, George. And I don't think they were speaking in tongues, but it was so close. It sure sounded like it. And uh, I'm like, man, I'd go home and say, Dad, you got to send us back to the public school. These people are just nuts. <laughs> he said, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. So George just got saved for the third time. So I think George is, George is getting there. George, George is almost there. I only got saved for the second time. But, uh, man, we had some good times, George. We did. Good night. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Jesus said, happy are the sad. Now listen to what Paul said. Verse number one. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What a verse. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Then he said this. Receive us. We have wronged no man we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and to live with you. So you understand, this is the second epistle that Paul has written to the, the church at Corinth. And, uh, and he said that, you understand, he said that you are in our hearts to die and, and to live with you. He, he loved these people. He wasn't just writing this flippantly or haphazardly. I mean, he loved these people he was writing. To look at verse number four. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with your comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God, the comfort of those that are cast down Comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by its coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more verse eight for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry though it were but for a season if if you ever Remember 1 Corinthians? Paul, um, by the, through the league of the Holy Spirit, man, he, he put the, the rubber right where it meets the road. I mean, he started out telling them that they were carnal, that they were spiritual babies, that they were immature. And in 1 Corinthians, I mean, he just unloaded. Chapter 5, he talked about the fact that they had open immorality in the church and they weren't willing to deal with it. In fact, the church was almost glorying in the fact that they covered it up. And man, Paul just like, He just leveled the playing field in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So he acknowledged that in chapter 2, and he said, I I want you to know I'm not repenting that I wrote that, but he said, I'll be honest with you. He said, it made me feel bad because I knew it made you feel bad. But he said, there was a reason for that. Now look at verse number 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly matter, manner that she might receive damage by us in nothing. You, you say, Pastor Carl, I, I, I was kind of confused there how you're trying to tie this passage with Matthew chapter five. Well, the Bible said, blessed are they that mourn. And Paul was talking to the church at Corinth and he said, I understand that your mourning led you to a godly sorrow that led you to repentance. Now, we're living in a day and age that that says that repentance is is a bygone doctrine and it really doesn't apply to 21st century Christians. Can I say this? I disagree with that 100%. I'm convinced that repentance is as alive and well today as it's ever been. And if it's not alive and well, it's because the pulpit has let it go silent and shame on us for doing so. And I believe what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth is he said, you allowed your godly sorrow to lead you to repentance. And that's what Jesus said when he said, blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that allowed a godly sorrow towards their sin, lead them to repentance. Look at what he said in verse number 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh in other words, he said, godly sorrow produces life. Worldly sorrow produces death. In other words, what Paul was saying, he said, I understand if, if, if we had our choice, and, and I, I'm, I'm of the same impression, I'd rather be laughing than, than, than mourning. I'd rather be happy than, than, than sad and mourning. And even Solomon said, it's better to go to the house of feasting than to the house of mourning. I understand all that. But can I say this? Or actually, he said, it's better to go to the house of mourning than a house of feasting. You see, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, the Bible says that, you know, a, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And, you know, but, but there comes a point in time where God says, okay, there's, there's something in your life that needs to be mourned over. And that area is our sin. I want to look at verse number 11. And in verse number 11... The Holy Spirit gave to the church at Corinth. I'm going to call it the seven characteristics of repentance. Before I get there, let me say this. Whatever you do with this message this morning is between you and God. But I would dare say that every single one of us in this auditorium Has something in our life that we need to repent of. Somewhere there's a process of thinking, there's a process of deeds, there are some things that we've allowed into our life because the flesh that we live in craves sin. It craves the things that are wrong. It craves to do wrong, it craves to hang around with people that do wrong. It has a weakness. It has a propensity for the things of the world. And it just wants to do wrong every chance it gets. The only reason the flesh doesn't get by with it is because somewhere along the line, you've said, okay, that's where I'm going to draw the line. I'm not crossing that line. I'm not going there, I'm not doing this, I'm not acting this way, I'm not talking this way, I'm not thinking this way, I'm not going to be that what kind of a person, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to chew, I'm not going to run with those that do. And when you make up some reasons for why you do, based upon the word of God, I believe God honors and blesses that. But if we're not careful, we say, oh, wow, I wish so-and-so could have been here this morning. They really needed that message. No, there's not a single person here that didn't need this message this morning. We might might act like we didn't need it. might be like water for ducks back when we walk out. You can choose to be a hearer of a word rather than the doer of the word, but I'm I'm just telling you, Jesus said this, happy are the sad. Now, wait a minute. He's not talking about people that walk around with a saddened countenance, like you've lost your best friend, you've lost every bit of hope you had in the world. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about some spiritual piety that would cause you to go around like like the the Pharisee did when when, when he disfigured his face so people would know that he fasted and people would look at them and say, wow, how spiritual you are. and When they would stand in the corner of the streets and they would pray out to God, the people would be enamored by what they said. And Jesus himself said, "You you can do what they say, just don't do what they do. Because what they say, what they do, don't line up. And boy, it sounds good, and everything they say seems to have a good spiritual tone to it, but if you look behind the scenes and you see how they live, their walk and their talk don't line up. Let's jump into the last verse, number 11. Paul said, for behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sword. What carefulness it wrought in you. I believe the first characteristic of, of repentance church is this. Paul said what, what carefulness it wrought in you. I believe that word carefulness can clearly be defined by the word diligence. Paul said there was a diligence in you that you didn't want to just confess the sins that maybe your wife knew about or your husband knew about or your family knew about. He said, I understand that you got so deep in your confession and your repentance. There was so much carefulness there. You were so diligent that you wanted to make sure that you uncovered every rock, that you didn't close off any door to the Holy Spirit of God, that you said, Holy Spirit of God, my life is open to you. Whatever it is that needs to be changed, Whatever it is that needs to stop, whatever it is that needs to go, I want it to go. And I believe the first characteristics of, re- of repentance is being so diligent that we're not looking to cover something or defend something or to accuse, excuse something or to justify it, that we're willing to say, Holy Spirit of God, if you reveal that to me and you point it out to me and I recognize that I've got a sin in this area or a sin in this area or a sin in this area, Holy Spirit of God, all you have to do is point it out and I'll repent of it and get it out of my life. He said, what carefulness it wrought in you. Then he said this, yea, what clearing of yourselves. Not only did Paul say that with repentance comes a diligence, but he said with repentance there comes a difference. He said that when you repented of your sins after this godly sorrow, he said, it, it, it produced a clearing of yourself. In other words, you don't had a clear conscience. You no longer had anything that you were trying to hide. No longer was there, was there a, a, a track that you were trying to keep hidden. no longer did you have to make sure that you, you covered everything and hid everything and protected everything. He said, "You came out with it and you repented of it. And he said, "What clearing of yourself?" He said, "What a difference it made when you could say, "I am pure from my sin." You just let it go. Church, can I say this? Probably one of the worst things about sin is that sin is a progression. And I think sin is just like a little baby rattlesnake. You know, there's many kinds of snakes I don't like. Big ones, little ones, live ones, dead ones, rubber ones, talking ones, Peruvian ones. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And uh, I don't know that they've created a snake, rubber ones, I don't think they've created a snake that I like. But let's just say you brought home a little baby rattlesnake and you went to the the, the pet store in Greenville and you bought a little rattlesnake, and you said, Oh, that's so cute, it's so cute. And you let it crawl all over your arm, and you let it hang around your neck, and how cool that was, and took pictures and put it on in Instagram, and all this, that, and the other. Man, you were just the baddest dude. You got this baby rattlesnake hanging around your neck. But when it begins to grow, its, it's nature is really not to be like a cuddly puppy, if you know what I mean. I don't know if some people think they are, but. That rattlesnake has within it the ability to kill you at a moment's notice. And that's what sin does. See, so we bring it home, and we think, Pastor Crow, you don't understand. I, I have this under control. Pastor Crow, you don't understand. Some people may not be able to handle their alcohol. Some people may not be able to handle their drugs. Pastor Crow, I can handle this. I can control this. Can I say this? To a point, maybe. But there comes a point in time, even even many bars will say something like happy hour or spirit hour or spirit sold here. And when you recognize that what's in that bottle of alcohol is not just a a liquid, it's it's a spirit. Who can tell how far that spirit's going to take you today and how far it might take you tomorrow? And I don't want to confuse my first message and my second message, but I think so many times the devil sets us up because all he has to do is get us to convince ourselves that we're in control because if it has anything to do with sin, we're not in control. He is, and he knows that. That's why you go, people go from beer to liquor to whiskey and they just keep adding and adding and they go from cigarettes to weed to this that, and the other and it, it keeps getting stronger and stronger and it keeps getting more and more dangerous and more and more risky and more, more and more death-defying and, and, and it just seems like sin just gets just worse and worse by the day. Why? Because it's a progression. So when Paul looked at the church of Corinth, he said, hey, I want you to understand when you repented, he said, not only, he said, was was there a point in your life, he said, where there was a carefulness, there was a diligence, but he said, there was a clearing of yourself. He said, what a difference it made when you said, you know what, I'm holding nothing back. God, you want all of me? You can have all of me. God, you can take all of me. I'm not holding anything. I'm not stopping you from touching any area of my life, any area of my mind. God, I want you to have all of me today. He said, what a difference that made in your life. Then he said this, yea, what indignation. Not only did he say that there was a diligence and did they were they thorough in their repenting, but he said what a difference it made. It, it was a clearing of themselves. It was like, like they had a clear conscience maybe for the first time in a long time. But then he said, yea, what, what indignation. You know what real scriptural repentance will do, what godly sorrow will do for your sin? Here's what it'll do. It'll, develop, it'll help you develop a disgust towards your sin. We had a student in our U years ago, and he came to me one day, and he said, Pastor he said, I, I need to ask you this question. He said, I don't know if you can answer or not, but he said, when will I ever get rid of this sin? And here was my answer. I said, when you get sick and tired of that sin. That's when you'll get rid of it when you recognize that you can't live a spiritually led, Holy Spirit led Christian life and you can't live a spirit filled Christian life when this sin is permeating itself in your life, when you get to the point where you'd rather have God than this sin when you get to the point where you're sick and tired of what this sin is doing to you and how you would lie and cheat and steal from your mother, your father, your brothers, your business, your friends, your church, whoever it might be, when you get to the point where you're sick and tired enough of your sin, that's when repentance will come in. And church, can I say this? That's exactly what Paul said to the church of Corinth. He said, here's what your godly sorrow did. And here's how your godly sorrow worked itself towards repentance there was a carefulness. There was a diligence. There was a clearing of yourself. What a difference it made. There was an indignation. You got so disgusted with your sin that you said, I want nothing to do with this. Then he said this, yea, what fear? I believe that fear there is referring to a fear of God. And I think what Paul was saying is it, it brought about a, a devotion in you that was so strong, that you no longer wanted to hurt God with that sin, you no longer wanted to hurt God's people with that sin, that you wanted to be so devoted to God that pleasing the spirit meant more to you than pleasing the flesh, and you are willing to let your devotion cause you to say no to your sin. You you know what I think we have right here in this one verse? The characteristics of what repentance is all about. See, when you start with a carefulness and a diligence and a clearing of yourself, what a difference it's going to make and the indignation, the disgust, and yea, what fear, what what devotion? And then he said, yea, what vehement desire. You know what he said? He said, what an earnest desire you had to just come clean with your sin. Now, I'll be honest with you. Repentance is a lot like forgiveness. It's not just a a one and done situation. You could hit this altar today and say, Pastor Crowell, I feel the Holy Spirit spoke to me today and I want to repent of everything that's in my life and I just want to come clean with God. Can I say this? Don't be surprised if you have to do it again today. And don't be surprised if you have to get up and do it again tomorrow morning. and Maybe again tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon. But you know what repentance will do? It should start to develop a godly sorrow that says, I don't want my sin to win this battle in my life. I I don't want sin to destroy my testimony. I don't want sin to destroy people that I've invested my life in. Standing at the prison this morning and a guy walked out and he said, hey, Pastor Crowley, he said, if... You ever get a chance? He said, did your church ever have a reform? He's unanimous. And I said, I did. We did. I said, we now have a, a thing called Bridge Recovery. But I said, it's the same principle, same basic program. They just kind of revamped it a little bit. And he said, if you could ever get me one of those. In fact, he said, when you come in next month, can you just bring me a couple of those booklets? And I looked at him. I started laughing. And I said, well, I said, we're not supposed to bring anything in. We're not supposed to take anything out. And I said, uh, that might get me into trouble. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor Girl. He said, I'm here for a felony, so I'm really not worried about me. <laughs> I said, well, you might not be worried about you, but I'm worried about me. So I said, uh, I'll get with Vince, the guy that's in charge of Rock of Ages, and I'll see if we can't get a hold of your warden, and we'll see if, if I can get that material to you, I'll, I'll get that material to you. Mr. Pastor Carl, I'd appreciate that. He grew up in a Baptist church. He went to a Bible college. He, he, he would probably understand this message as well as anybody sitting in this auditorium this morning. I knew who his pastor used to be. His pastor would preach on repentance. He heard messages just like this, but you know what he did? Somewhere along the line he said, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to my sin. As long as I can cover my tracks and as long as I can cover my sin, I'm going to be exempt from that and I really don't have to repent. I just have to stay one step out of the law and not get caught. You know what eventually happens? Our sin will find us out. You might fool a lot of people a lot of time, but you'll never fool God. And when God gets to a point and says, okay, that's enough, and he pulls the covers back. You'd be surprised. Oftentimes, what's hidden behind there? Because we think we're one step above repentance. And, church, we're not. Paul said there was a vehement, there was an earnest desire. Listen to this. Then he said, Yea, what zeal. That word zeal means a burning desire. Paul said, Not only was there an earnest desire to have this godly sorrow and get rid of your sin, but he said, there was a zeal, there was a burning desire that when you were confronted with your sin, you said, Holy Spirit of God, I want to get right. Holy Spirit of God, I want to stay right. Holy Spirit of God, I want to keep my life pure and clean. I'm your vessel. I want to stay pure for your honor and glory. And, and Paul was recognizing that not only did they have an earnest desire, but they had a burning desire. And then he said this. He said, yea, what revenge. Do you know what they were revenging? their own sin he talked about a earnest desire he talked about a burning desire then he talked about a deliberate desire he said you you had such this this desire and he said, there was within you not only this vehement desire and not only was there this zeal, but, but you wanted to show revenge this because you saw what your sin did to you and you saw what other people's sin did to them. And you said, I, I don't want that. I don't want to live that way. I don't want sin to be my master. I don't want to be a slave to my sin. And he said, you took revenge against your own sin and said, I've got this deliberate desire to say, Holy Spirit of God, cleanse me from my sin.'" I think Paul looked at this church at Corinth. Because if you read the Epistle of First Corinthians and then you read the Epistle of Second Corinthians, you'll see a drastic change between the two. You want know to believe the drastic change was? When, 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 when the Holy Spirit of God, through the writing of Paul, addressed some issues that they had with their own carnality and with some choices they'd made with immorality in the church, and when Paul told told them that when you observed the Lord's Supper, it was nothing more than dinner on the grounds, and some people didn't have enough to eat, and some people had too much to eat, and people were bringing alcoholic beverages, and people were getting drunk, and it was all under the the guise of praising and thanking God for what He had done, and He said, "You can't operate this way, and let God expect God just to turn a deaf eye or a deaf ear to it. God knows." everything that's going on, you better pay attention. Hey, your sins are what have separated you and your God. He said, you better take an inventory. And I believe what Paul gave us here, as Paul said, here are the seven characteristics of repentance. Paul said, you can choose to accept it. You can choose to refuse it. But it doesn't change it. It's the word of God. And church, can I say this? There's not one person here today, myself included, that needed this message today. Because my Bible says, blessed are they that mourn. Hey, God is, God is perfectly fine with us enjoying life. He said in John 10, ten I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God wants us to enjoy life. He's given us all things richly to enjoy, but there comes a point when it comes to our sin that God said there's gotta be a time when the laughter stops. There's gotta be a time when the smile stops. There's gotta be a time when godly sorrow steps in and leads you to repentance and says, by the grace of God, you've got to get rid of those sins. Before your sins get rid of you, I heard a preacher say this when it comes to sin. He said, "You better slay it before it slays you," and that's exactly what sin wants to do. Because the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. And if we're not careful, somewhere between the flesh, the world, and the devil, they'll convince us, "Oh, don't listen to that preacher. He's taking this thing way too seriously." Sin really isn't that big of a deal. No. Can I say this? It's a much bigger deal than that. You you look at the problems that are in this world, and I can can promise you where it all started, a little three-letter word called sin. It's interesting that it's spelled S-I-N, just like pride, P-R-I-D. It's amazing how the letter I is in the middle of both of those words. And the devil is so good at doing what he does, in church, here's what he wants to do. He wants to get us to cover, to defend, to excuse, to justify our sin, rather than say, by the grace of God, I need to repent and come clean. Now, can I say this? I am so thankful that I'm Pastor Crawl, not Father Crawl. <laughs> I'm so glad that there's no confessional booth set up here. You don't have to sit there with Pastor Carl on the other side of the screen and confess all your sins to Pastor Carl. And I can say, son, daughter, your sins be forgiven you. My Bible says that no man has power on earth to forgive sins but God only. All you have to do is take your sins directly to God. All you have to do is say, Holy Spirit of God, Thank you for reminding me that godly sorrow is what will lead me to repentance. And thank you for reminding me, Jesus, that happy are the humble and happy are the sad. I could give you a long list of things this morning that we need to repent if they're in our life. But I'm going to forego the list this morning. Because the same Holy Spirit I serve, the same Holy Spirit that's in here, if you're saved, is in your heart just as well. And here's all I'm going to ask you to do just listen to Him. If there's something in your life that ought not be there, now would be a wonderful time to say, Holy Spirit of God, I want to get it out. I don't know what your struggles are, but I promise you this from the youngest in this room to the oldest in this room, we all have struggles. We all have issues. We all have areas that we could cover, defend, excuse, and justify at the drop of a hat, and we're so good at doing so. But can I say this? When we stand before God one day, we'll wish we'd listen to a message like this and say, by the grace of God, why didn't I do a thorough job? Why didn't I do a diligent job of repenting of my sin? Heard a preacher say years ago, he said there's only two times you should ever respond to a message. Number one is when the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you. And number two is when the Holy Spirit of God isn't speaking to you. If you're here this morning, say, scroll, I I didn't, really, really didn't face me. That would concern me. If I could hear a message on, on godly sorrow that leads to repentance, unhappy are the sad, if the Holy Spirit somewhere didn't say, Kevin, this is you. I was at home yesterday afternoon, and I was studying in, in, in my living room, and I was going through 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I didn't get halfway through the verse, and the Holy Spirit said, why don't you just stop right now? I think now would be a good time to start repenting. And I got through the message, and I was writing some thoughts up, and the Holy Spirit said, you know, maybe, maybe you should repent of this sin right now, and maybe you should just make this a continual thing and just keep this thing going throughout the day, because if you're going to tell those people tomorrow that they need to have a godly sorrow, you, you better make sure that you understand what that godly sorrow is all about because we can just confess our sins so many times, but the Bible says, he who so confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So I think the forsaking is when the repentance comes in, and we say by the Holy Spirit of God, I see my sin the way you see it. I recognize it as a direct offense to you, and God, there's no way that the Holy Spirit can bless me in my life as long as I allow these sins to permeate my life, my mind, and this flesh that I live in. Seven characteristics of repentance. Heavenly Father, help us this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I pray you've already been speaking to our hearts. And God, I pray that somewhere between this invitation, somewhere between now and the end of this day, that we'll get alone with you and we'll get a hold of you and we'll get serious about repenting that comes from a godly sorrow that says, I have got to get rid of this sin. I've got to get so disgusted with this sin. I've got to get so sick and tired of this sin that just keeps peeking its head back up and keeps cropping itself back up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, Holy Spirit of God. I want the victory that only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And every once in a while, we need to take that smile off of our face, And if need be, allow tears to stroll down our eyes and say, by the grace of God, I want to be right. I want to be pure. I want to be clean. And I want to do a thorough job of repenting of anything and everything that's in my life that ought not be there. Maybe somebody's here today that doesn't know that they're saved and on their way to heaven. I pray today would be their day of salvation. Help them to see that one of the first steps to salvation is repentance. Recognizing that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and repenting of their sin and turning to Christ. Our salvation's not through our good works. It's not through baptism. It's not through church membership or church attendance. It's through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what Christ did for us. God, help us today. Blessing the invitation, I pray in Jesus' name.